When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of This Week in History. With me, your host. I'm waiting for you to say it, because I say it every week. Stan the Viking. Hello. Uh, you should feel very privileged, because for another week, we have got a special guest again. Um, to be honest, the fact we haven't had Dad on the show for so long, we're rattling through. We've got a chance now to rattle through a few. Um, so these have all been pre-recorded. Um so they're all here for you and um, we don't get very many chances um with my job and his job and things like that so we've taken advantage of the fact that we've got time and we've uh cut your list down from what six down to three now so we've got three in a row um and this one if i'm honest if you like the last two this one's probably better and um, that's my opinion so I'll set the standards now, Dad. You've got to, you've got to provide. <laughs> I've got to do what I can. Yeah. So uh, probably one of the most famous moments, and I say moment because it wasn't very long um, in history. I would say this is pretty well known worldwide. Well, it's probably about one of the most famous thirty seconds in the history of the United States. There we go. Moment in history. Just a flash. Oh yeah. Yes. And who are we talking about? What are we talking about? And, yeah. So, should we, should we uh, go back in time to the 1800s? Yeah. Victorian America. Does yeah. it, do they call it that? Um, I don't know. Would it, yeah, it was Victorian era, but it's America. So, it's post-Civil War. Yeah. Um, Pre-Jack the Ripper. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, we're going to go back to 1881. Okay. And October 1881. And if we define it even smaller, the 26th of October 1881. Yeah. Okay. So this episode is, like I said, about one of the most famous 30 seconds in the history of the United States. Uh, the incident this podcast is about took place. It concerns a shootout between lawmen led by Virgil Earp 
and members of a loosely organised group of outlaws called the Cowboys. It occurred around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday the 26th of October 1881 in a place called Tombstone, Arizona, which is in Arizona Territory, United States. And it kind of typifies the people's idea of the Wild West, and it's gone down as the most famous gunfight of the Old West. Oh, yes. Now, there's lots of myths about it, and hopefully I'll try to give you a balanced view of the event based on historical facts. Okay. Okay. Best way to do it. Did this take place in the most violent period of American history? There's no doubt that America has a violent history. The country was born in violence, as have been many, to be fair. It's had a civil war, which killed more of the population than all other conflicts it's ever been involved in. Um, Combined, to be honest, right through the era of the Wild West into the 20th century. So probably the answer to that question is no. Hmm. It did take place at a time when the rule of law was difficult to enforce and probably due to the vast distances involved and communication issues, lack of marshals, sheriffs, deputies, along with the high potential for corruption amongst those who were entrusted to enforce the law. Yeah, because that doesn't happen anymore, does it? (laughs) (laughs) this gunfight happened during a period that has become known as the wild west yes so where did it happen it happened at a place called tombstone arizona but as we know it's not actually at the place that it's become synonymous with in fact the incident was just one of many that occurred in the old west it really became known to the general public in 1931 after a book Wyatt Earp Frontier Marshall was published and was based on the life of one of the shootout participants and it was written two years after Wyatt Earp died okay Uh, its location became known as the OK Corral and that's short for Old Kindersley Corral The precise location was, in fact, a small lot, six buildings away, that nobody really knows why the exact location was not used in the book. But, to be honest, I suppose gunfight at the vacant lot on the side of C.S. Fly's photography studio and boarding house on Fremont Street, Tombstone, doesn't quite have the same ring. (laughs) No, I don't suppose it does, really, does it? No, it doesn't sound quite as appealing. So the book was picked up by Hollywood and several films have been made about it, which, to be honest, prevented Tombstone from becoming a ghost town and actually sealed its place in American history. Yeah. Now, Tombstone began life as a solitary silver mine in Arizona. A prospector called Ed Shifflin left the army in 1887 and went looking for his fortune in and around the area friends told him that due to the large native american population the apache presence in the area all he was likely to find was his own tombstone so when he found a silver in the area he named his mine tombstone 
And that was the name that the town which grew up around the mine adopted. By 1880, the town had grown substantially, becoming one of the last boom towns in America. By the time of the shooting, Tombstone had a bowling alley, four churches, an ice house, a school, two banks, three newspapers, an ice cream parlour, and, believe it or not, 110 saloons and 14 gambling halls, as well as dance halls and brothels. All of these businesses were situated among and on top of the many silver mines that were there. So the town was literally in the middle of nowhere, and it was connected to the rest of the West by stagecoaches only. Right, okay. Now this gave rise to a number of stagecoach robberies, which when you consider the town's main product was silver, without a railroad, only the coaches were able to export it. And this add to this the severe lack of law enforcement, crime outside the town was absolutely abundant. And it was not long before a group called that called themselves the Cowboys started to get blamed for these robberies. Now the general consensus is that the fight was between good and evil. Okay. Lawmen against criminals. Yeah. But that's a little bit too basic and might not be as accurate as Okay. On the one side, there's the group called the Cowboys, and on the other, the Earps and Doc Holliday. Now, the Cowboys have always been portrayed as the bad guys, where the Earps are looked on as being in the right. But to fully appreciate the incident, there's some basics that need to be explained. As we all know, it takes a minimum of two sides to have a fight. So, let's look at the town itself and the groups involved. Finally. We know what actually occurred on that day in October 1881. As Tombstone became established as a frontier mining settlement, people flooded in, mainly in search of riches from the, those silver mines. But not everybody who arrived found work. Those that didn't went on to set up businesses to support the mining industry. Okay. And a few moved out of town to the surrounding lands. Funnily enough, this led to the population of Tombstone falling into two distinct categories. There were the mining capitalists and the townspeople, who were largely Republicans and from the northern states, and they lived inside the town's limits and tried to live a law-abiding existence. Surrounding the town were the ranchers. They were, to be honest, mainly Democrats and Confederate sympathisers, despite the war ending years before. Now, the proximity of the Mexican border also enabled these people to have somewhat dubious occupations, and due to their remote homesteads, they didn't exactly form a gang. Well, not as we'd know one today, but they did assist each other in coming together to steal cattle from across the border. Now, this group of people became known as the Conchise County Cowboys. There's no real leader of this makeshift group, but a man named Johnny Ringo appears to crop up a lot, and history shows he may be considered somewhat unofficial an unofficial leader. The cattlemen, or cowboys, used to enter the towns to buy feed, sell cattle, deposit funds and do other tasks, often staying overnight, having a meal, sometimes visiting the red light district. 
Many of them came armed with guns or knives. You throw alcohol into the mix and the combination usually led to violence within the town limits. Now there's a rumour that the cowboys could be identified by a coloured sash that they always carried. The truth is none of them carried any identification sash or otherwise. Right. So they didn't carry any identification. The problem of shootings and drunken misuse of guns wasn't taken lightly, and the townspeople did everything they could to keep law and order as far as they can. Virgil Earp, along with the help of the newly formed Tombstone City Government, instituted Ordinance Number 9 on April 12, 1880. This was to prevent violence, to prevent concealed weapons, specifically guns, rifles and knives, and they were banned from being carried within town limits unless the carrier had a special permit. Anyone entering the town would need to hand over their weapons for safekeeping until they left. In theory, it was a good law. It was designed to lower the shootings and injuries caused by guns in the hands of violent and drunken people. (laughs) In reality, it just was impossible to enforce. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, So this was the world that the Earp brothers, James, Virgil and Wyatt, encountered when they arrived in Tombstone four months earlier on the 1st of December 1879. They were later joined by two other brothers, Warren and Morgan Earp, in late 1880. Now Virgil was a Civil War veteran and he'd been hired by Deputy US Marshals for the eastern Pima County with his offices in Tombstone only days before their arrival. So in June 1881, he was also appointed Tombstone's town marshal. Now, we're talking Virgil Earp here. Okay, not the name that people would think, yeah. Wyatt Earp had been a lawman in uh, Wichita, Kansas, and later an assistant city marshal in Dodge City. And upon his arrival in Tombstone, Wyatt drifted between several jobs, including working for the Wells Fargo Stage Company, and he worked as a shotgun messenger. He later claimed his main income was actually through gambling. Fair enough. Morgan Earp arrived in Tombstone in July 1880, and he replaced Wyatt on the stagecoach runs. All three of the Earps were employed as lawmen at the time of the shootout. The fourth person on the Earp's side during this event was John Henry Holiday, better known as Doc Holiday. Now, Doc Holiday was a professional gambler. He was a dentist, he was an expert gunman, and he was the last of the group to arrive in Tombstone bef- before the Earps in September 1880. And he arrived with $40,000. That's a lot back then. Yeah. Well, it's equivalent to 1.1 million in 2021. Now, these were gambling money. This was money he'd won. Nice. Um, He was never a member of law enforcement until he was deputised by Virgil on the day of the gunfight. Okay. 
Now, the Earps did their best to help town marshal, the town marshal, a gentleman called uh, Fed White, and Sheriff Johnny Behan. And they did, they did their best to help maintain law and order. But things weren't always as they seem. Behan, the sheriff, was a supporter of the Cowboys and generally gave them the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. Right. Contrary to popular belief, the Earps were not usually liked by the townspeople and their exploits were also somewhat dubious, to say the least. It's fair to say they probably weren't squeaky clean. Yeah. Uh, the Earps' first run-in with the Cowboys came on the 25th of July, 1880. An army captain named Joseph Hurst was searching for six army mules that had been stolen from Fort Rucker. Stealing mules was a federal offence because the animals were government property, and as Virgil Earp was Deputy U.S. Marshal, Captain Hurst asked him for help. Virgil requested the assistance of his brothers, Wyatt and Morgan, along with the Wells Fargo agent, Marshal Williams. Together they went searching for these animals. They actually found them on a ranch belonging to a family called the McLaurys. Surprisingly, the head of the family was a cowboy member. They also managed to find on his land a branding iron which the cowboys had used to change the US branding on the animals to D8. <laughs> That's quite clever. Having found the mules, they negotiated with one of the cowboys for their safe return. Two days later, the cowboys turned up without them and proceeded to laugh at the Earps and Captain Hurst. This resulted in both parties publishing their sides in opposing newspapers, with the cowboys actually threatening to kill the Earps. This threat was repeated to Virgil a month later in person when he ran into Frank and Tom McClowry on the street and the two groups continued to antagonise each other over the coming months. The next incident of significance occurs on the 28th of October. As it happens on most nights, there were several drunk patrons on the streets of Tombstone, five of whom were firing their guns into the air, and they were actually on a place called Allen Street. In fact, they actually appeared to be aiming at the moon, so they were... Well out of it. Yeah. <laughs> now, due to the local law, Ordinance Number 9, as previously mentioned, the town marshal, Fred White, went to investigate, probably with the intention of disarming them. Now, Deputy Sheriff Wyatt Earp was over a block away in a place called Owen Saloon when he heard the guns firing. Being unarmed, he borrows a pistol and goes out to investigate. As he approaches, he sees White attempt to disarm one of the men, a cowboy called Curly Bill Brosius. Um, as the marshal approaches Bill, there's a gunshot. White collapses in the street, having been hit in the groin. Wyatt runs into the street, knocks Bill to the ground, and then grabs him by the collar and tells him to get up. Brocius says, 
what have I done? Bill's pistol was found on the ground with one of the rounds missing. It's been fired. He's the one that's fired the shot. Yeah. So Wyatt escorts Bill to the town jail where he was detained. This prevented the townspeople from attacking him and probably actually saved his life. Marshall White died of his injuries two days later. He was 31. Wow. Now, this incident led to Bill being taken to court on a murder charge. Wyatt Earp gave evidence at his trial in December, and as a result of Wyatt's evidence, the judge ruled that the shooting was accidental and released him. Mm. Despite being released... Bill Brocious remained angry about how Wyatt had detained him and he became an enemy of the Earps, despite Wyatt actually getting him off a murder charge. Yeah, because Wyatt Earps' evidence could have seen him hung. Yeah. Tensions between the Earps and the Cowboys throughout the next few months, they just increased. Uh, To a point where... Behan and Wyatt went for election to county sheriff. So they contested it. Yeah. Yeah, you're Behan's supporter of the Cowboys. And it, the tide was slowly turning against the Earps. Uh, Wyatt later testified that Behan had offered him the job of undersheriff if Wyatt Earp re- withdrew his application. So that's what Wyatt did. Uh, Behan reneged on his part of the bargain which left the Earps and Wyatt in particular very angry and it didn't help that Behan was a supporter of the Cowboys yeah no I can imagine on the evening of March the 15th 1881 a Kinnear and Company stagecoach carrying $26,000 of silver bullion was en route from Tombstone to Benson Arizona Near a place called Drew Station, just outside Contention City, a man steps into the road. Hold, was the order. Three robbers attempted to rob the stage. The driver fired his shotgun and emptied his revolver at the robbers, wounding one. Turned out to be a cowboy, later identified as Bill Leonard. The guard, riding uh, riding shotgun, and a passenger called Peter Roig, riding in the rear dicky seat, were shot and killed in this robbery. The horses bolted and the driver wasn't able to bring the stagecoach under control for about a mile, which left the robbers with absolutely nothing. So when the word of the attempted hold-up reaches Tombstone, the Earps immediately put the blame on the Cowboys. The Cowboys, in turn, tried to blame Doc Holliday for organising it with the association of the Earps. Right, okay. So the Earps spent several months trying to track down the culprits and riding through the territory without success. History would later reveal that the robbers were four cowboys who unfortunately died in separate incidents before they could be brought to justice. One uh, One person was found who eventually gave up the names of the robbers. He was just a drifter called Luther King. Um, He was arrested by Behan, but... He was allowed to escape. 
The fallout over the Cowboys' attempt to implicate Holiday and the Earps in the robbery, along with Behan's involvement in King's escape, further increased bad feelings between the Earp brothers and the Cowboys. Yeah, they're not getting on at all now. No, it doesn't sound like it. Tensions between the Earps and Cowboys and the McClowries further increased when another passenger stagecoach on the Sandy Bob line in the Tombstone area bound for Bisbee was held up on the September the 8th. Masked bandits robbed all of the passengers of their valuables and since the stagecoach was not carrying a strong box they, they just robbed the passengers. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But during the robbery the driver heard one of the robbers describe the money as sugar. Now this was a phrase known to be used by a particular... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply a cowboy called Frank Stilwell and he became the chief suspect this was enhanced when at the scene of the hold up Wyatt discovered an unusual boot print left by someone wearing a custom repaired boot right okay the Earps checked at a shoe repair shop in Bisbee known to provide repairs to boots and were able to link the boot print to Stilwell that's pretty good. That's not Detective bad for work a, for a 1880s. 1880s yeah. yeah. So Stillwell and another were arrested for the robbery by the Earps. Both were friends of the McClowries and a cowboy called Ike Clanton. At the preliminary hearing, Stillwell and Spence were able to provide several witnesses to support their alibis. So they got released. Hmm. <laughs> The pair were re-arrested on the 13th of October by Marshal Virgil Earp for the same robbery, but on this time on a new federal charge of interfering with a mail carrier. Ike and the other cowboys believed the new arrest was further evidence that the Earps were illegally persecuting the cowboys, and they told the Earps they could expect retaliation. The situation was fast becoming a feud, and as a well-known local newspaper the tombstone epitaph reported that since the arrest of spence and stillwell veiled threats being made that the friends of the accused will get the erps frank mcclowry even confronted morgan erp in the street telling him that the mcclowry's would kill the erps if they tried to arrest spence and stillwell or one of the mcclowry's ever again in the street, you know, that's definitely not good. 
So the night before the gunfight, a group of cowboys who were in town to do some business were drinking heavily in one of the town's saloons. They actually included Frank and Tom McClowry and Ike Clanton. It was like Ike had a heated argument with Doc Holliday in the street and Ike was heard to threaten to confront Holliday in the morning. And he told Earp, he told Earp that uh, the fighting talk had been going on for a long time and he intended to put an end to it. I will be ready for you in the morning. So Wyatt just told Ike to go home because just there's no money in it. To which Ike replied, You must not think I won't be after you all in the morning. So this was the lead-up to one of the most famous 30 seconds in the history of the Wild West. Now, on the morning of the gunfight, Ike Clanton, Tom McClary, were still in town, blatantly brandishing their guns. They'd been drinking all night and were openly threatening to confront Doc Holliday. Virgil and Wyatt found Ike in a vacant lot next to... C.S. Fly's photography studio and boarding house. Now, funnily enough, this is where Doc Holliday was residing at the time. They were disarmed and arrested by Virgil Earp. And they were charged with carrying firearms within city limits. It was taken to the police court and they were fined before being released. This was at one o'clock in the afternoon. Now, on his way out of the courthouse, Wyatt bumps into another cowboy. And finding that he was carrying a gun, basically hit him on the head with his own gun and disarmed him. Okay. <laughs> Not looking good here. At around half past one, Ike's brother Billy, Frank McClowry, Billy Claiborne, rode into town. They're cowboys. First person they met in the local saloon was Doc Holliday, who, believe it or not, was delighted to inform them <coughs> that Ike and Tom had both been arrested by the Earps. <laughs> yeah, this didn't go down well, and Frank and the two Billies immediately left the saloon vowing revenge. Yeah, I can understand why. Uh, the five men, all cowboys, met up in a place called the Old Kindersley Corral in Fremont Street. And to put it mildly, they were pissed off with the Earps. And they were armed. Sheriff John Behan was in town, and when he heard what was happening, he raced over to Fremont Street, spoke to the group, and urged... Billy Clanton and Frank McClowry to hand their guns over to them. Their answer, not unless you first disarm the Earps. So while this was occurring, word reached Virgil that Ike and four others were intended to carry out the threats they'd been making over the past year. Virgil decided to go and disarm the newcomers and recruited Wyatt, Morgan and Doc Holliday to help him 
can, uh, with this task. They started to walk down the street towards where they believed the cowboys were. Behan saw them, left the cowboys and headed straight to the group. He pleaded with Virgil Earp not to get involved in a shootout, but he was just pushed aside as the Earps walked past. And uh, the Earps and Holiday carried on walking towards the OK Corral. The three Earps all had handguns, whereas Doc Holiday had a 12-gauge shotgun, <clears throat> as well as uh, a nickel-plated revolver. The time was around three o'clock in the afternoon. The Earps group with Holiday spotted the five members of the Clanton McClowry gang in the vacant lot behind the OK Corral at the end of Fremont Street. Although contemporary reports state that there were five cowboys present at the gunfight, it is possible that another cowboy was in the lot before the Earps confronted them. This cowboy was one called Wes Fuller, and he exited out of the rear of the lot as the Earps approached. So basically, he's turned around and gone, <laughs> sod this, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. The Earps filed into the narrow, narrow lot, forming a line as they faced the cowboys. It's five against four. The cowboys, too, were in a line facing the Earps at a distance of probably no more than 15 feet. Some reports said it was less than six feet. In the event, the two groups were very, very close. Now, when they reached the men, Virgil Earp said, Throw up your hands, I want your guns. Virgil and Wyatt both testified later they saw Frank McClary and Bill Clanton draw and cock their single-action six-shot revolvers. Virgil yells, Hold, I didn't mean that. Billy Claiborne, probably believing this confrontation would end badly, made the decision to leave and ran off out the back of the lot. This action undoubtedly saved his life, but left him with the label of coward for the rest of it. It's now four against four. Ike Clanton, Tom McClowry, who were both supposedly unarmed, tried to run away. Tom McClowry opened his coat, stating he was unarmed, but Ike Clanton actually ran towards Wyatt and pleaded he was unarmed and didn't want to fight. To this... Wyatt's responded, go to fighting or go away. Clanton ran off towards Fly's boarding house, which was behind the Earps, and he entered the premises through the front door where he had hid. <laughs> Although Tom held his coat open in an attempt to show he was unarmed, Virgil was fully aware that Tom had been seen earlier to enter a shop and come out with a revolver-like bulge in his back trouser pocket, which was now covered by the long, untucked tail of his shirt. Billy Clanton, Ike's younger brother, was wearing a Colt in a cross-draw holster in plain sight, and Frank McClowry, who was also visibly armed with the Peacemaker, was Frank's younger brother, Tom, his head now bandaged from the injury inflicted by Wyatt's Colt hours earlier, stood by a horse holding his coat open, but close to the lever-action Winchester that hung from the animal's saddle. Hmm, so he's not armed, but the animal is. 
After these few words, the shooting began. Now, there's confusion as to who fired the first shot. Wyatt and Billy were the first to shoot. Almost simultaneously, Billy aimed at Virgil and missed. Wyatt didn't. Billy Clanton was hit twice. The first hit him in the chest. The second, which came from Morgan's gun, shattered Billy's right wrist. He falls to the ground and shifts the gun to his left hand and fires until the gun was empty. At the same time, Holiday fires both barrels of the shotgun at Tom McClowry as he went to move behind the horse. The shot hit him in the chest. Tom staggered into Fremont Street where he fell on his back and never moved again. Virgil and Morgan are both hit. A bullet tears through the muscle of Virgil, Virgil's calf and he falls but immediately springs back up firing. Morgan shouts, I'm hit, or words to that effect, and collapses. A bullet has struck him in the right shoulder and travelling across to the left shoulder where it exits, clipping one of the vertebrae but not entering the body cavity. Wyatt who remains standing, now steps in front of his downed younger brother to shield him from the gunfire. On the cowboy's side, Frank McClowry is the last man standing. Wyatt shoots Frank McClowry in the abdomen. Wounded, Frank took his horse by his reins, struggled across Fremont Street, tried and failed to grab the rifle from the saddle. The horse is hit. It panics and bolts. Frank draws his revolver and starts firing at Doc Holliday. Frank and Holliday exchange shots as Frank moves across Fremont Street. The last three shots of the fight are fired in quick, rapid succession. Frank hits Holliday, grazing him on the hip. Holliday follows him, exclaiming, That son of a bitch has shot me and I'm going to kill him. Holliday fires back hitting Frank in the abdomen. The final shot comes from Morgan Earp, who had picked himself up. It hits Frank McClary in the head, killing him instantly. When the smoke and dust clears from the most famous gunfight in US history, it had lasted 30 seconds. 30 rounds had been fired. So if it was so famous why was the secret of sequence of events so difficult to piece together the answer is fairly simple all the guns used that day were black powder weapons which caused a considerable amount of smoke and when the smoke and dust cleared bill clanton and the mcclowry brothers were dead virgil and morgan earp and doc holliday had all been wounded ike clanton and claiborne had run for the hills the only person to come out of the whole encounter without a map, without a scrape, Wyatt Earp. Sheriff John Behan of Conchies County, who witnessed the shooter, immediately arrested and charged the Earps and Holiday with murder. Hmm. The funerals for Billy Clanton, Tom McClowry and his older brother Frank, and their ages, Billy was 19, McClary was 28, and Frank McClary was 33, was very well attended. 300 people joined the procession to Boot Hill, and as many as 2,000 watched from the sidewalks. Mm. A month later, however, a 30-day trial took place. Judge 
Wells Spicer, who just happened to be related to the Earps, decided that the defendants had been justified in their actions and they were fully justified in committing these homicides. Didn't help, or probably helped, that he was related to them. Yeah, no shit. So, a couple of facts to note. C.S. Fly's photography and boarding house was actually where Doc Holliday was living. It's where he was residing at the time. And although the gunfight at the OK Corral wasn't actually at the OK Corral, the place was the scene of a murder nine years later, on the 30th of December 1890, when a Dr. George Charles Willis was... Uh, killed by uh, a Dan Shankland. And this was based on the fact that Willis owed Shankland several months' wages and had threatened to silence him if he kept on about it. Fair enough. So the OK Corral was the scene of a murder just ten years old. Yeah, just not (laughs) that one. Just not that one. Do any of the guns used in the fight still exist? In reality, probably not. Frank McClary and Bill Clayton's guns were identified by their serials numbers at the time of the fight. But as the fight was just one of many that took place in the Old West, no one realised that people would still be talking about it 140 years later. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Despite this, in 2014, a Colt 45 single-action army revolver reportedly used by Wyatt at the OK Corral was sold at auction for $225,000. And the shotgun, supposedly used by Doc Holliday, was sold at the same auction for 150000 Wow. So what became of the survivors? Billy Claiborne was killed in a drunken gunfight in Tombstone, November 1882. To the next year. Ike Clanton was killed trying to escape from being arrested in 1887. Virgil Earp have survived an assassination attempt by the Cowboys later that year, December 1881. That left him with a paralysed right arm, and he died in 1905 of pneumonia. Morgan Earp was assassinated by the Cowboys while playing pool in March 1882. And Wyatt Earp, the last survivor of the gunfight, died of cystitis. 19th of January, 1929, at the age of 80. At his funeral, two silent Western actors carried the coffin, and they would be William Hart and Tom Mix. Wyatt Earp became famous. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's it's very interesting to think... I'd heard of Wyatt Earp. You know, I'd, I'd never heard... I mean, I'd heard of the name, the gunfight at the OK Corral. I think everyone's probably heard just at least the name. Whether they know the story or not, I think everyone knows that name. And and again, I knew the name Wyatt Earp, but I didn't realise that, in reality, he's only really famous because he was the only one that didn't get shot. Yeah. yeah do you know what I mean? He's, yeah. His brother was... The Virgil was the one. Yeah, Virgil was 
probably the district attorney or, or you he know, was the, the, the deputy marshal he was yeah. the lawman he was everything yeah but he's not the one that people remember no um and i've spoken to a few americans and so some of you guys um you know talk to me quite regularly and when i said i was doing about Wyatt Earp and they know I was like, oh yeah we know about him we know the story but no one ever has mentioned to me well do you know actually his brother was probably more important yeah yeah, and it, it's so strange, wonder, really, isn't it? We're talking about American history, and yet they well, yeah. But that's what I mean. I wonder how many of them actually know this story to that extent. Because, like I said, they know about the gunfight, they know about Wyatt Earp, but do they know that he's famous because he outlived them and because he didn't get shot, mm. or do they? Do you know what I mean? Because he's he's not the protagonist in that story, is he? It's his it's his brother. No, that's right. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Very, very interesting. And I'm sure some of you are going, yeah, well, we knew. But I had no idea. Mm. So, And I'm assuming I'm not the only one that had I'm no idea. It quite that. surprised me. It surprised me when I did the research for it. I knew the basics behind it. But, um, yeah, the actual thing itself, when I started looking into it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. And, is, and they managed to piece together the actual sequence of events, a sequence of shots. Yeah. It's quite a, quite a clever thing, the history that comes with it. Yeah, and it's it's hard for historians anyway to do something like that, but the fact that they've managed to do it and, and you've got you've got a story. I mean I'm I'm sort of you guys know what I'm like when I'm listening to, to an an episode and sometimes I'll chirp in and this one I could almost picture every you know every sequence of it mm. and this is i mean you, you you know you yourself are a big country music fan um and that's why i love country music because to me when you listen to country music and western music it does tell a story that you can almost sort of follow yeah <coughs> so i mean that's that's just how i feel with with that and uh, and that's sort of the effect I got from that as well that that ability to sort of see every event in my mind mm. so yeah it's quite good I mean yeah. the, the film Tombstone mm. does actually cover the gunfight and it's I'd go it's probably 50% accurate to actual history so uh, if you get a chance, it's uh, Kirk Russell, I think, starred in the film. No idea. It's it's a good film, but yeah. Yeah. But that was the gunfight at the OK Corral. And it just seems strange that I'm British and talking about American history. Well, I, lo- I love American history. And I, I love it because we're not taught about it. And that's no, what I like. We I'm, have to learn yeah outside of school it's not something yeah we get the basics you know but um and yeah that's what i love when you you know you're doing these things like i mean you do quite a few american ones um you know the hunley and things like that and to an extent even the titanic um we're not really taught about that and that's that's the sort of thing that i like is when i'm coming up with these things i've never heard of and i've got to do the research or i've got to listen to it myself rather than doing stories that i know yeah. You know, I could do James the First and Henry the Eighth and the Tudors and the Stuarts till the cows come home. I know it like the back of my hand, um, but it's not to me. It's not as interesting because I know it. 
I'd rather <laughs> learn something new um, and do it that way. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, for everyone listening, um, if you're new to the show, welcome. Um, you'll go back through the back catalogue. You'll hear uh, my dad's on quite a lot of episodes. We we do when we get together and we can do them. Um, it's fantastic. It's good fun. So there is quite a few on there for you to to go back and listen to. Um, you know the we we've got quite a quite a big back catalogue now. And for those of you who don't particularly enjoy the adverts or find them a bit irritating or they do disrupt your listening, um, you can get over to Patreon. It's the best way to support the show. Um, I think it's five dollars a month. You can pay more if you want to. And I know some of you guys who are over there. Um, do pay a little bit more, which is fantastic. Um, but you don't have to. You can just pay $5 a month and you do get access to all these shows. You will get them quite a bit in advance as well. So some of these come out sort of two or three weeks in advance um, and you don't have to listen to those adverts as well. So win-win for everybody. If you can't support the show in that way, if you can't afford to, to come over to Patreon and support us, the best way to support us is just to share the podcast with everyone that you know um, and to get a, a review in if you can get us a review on itunes that is fantastic that's a great way of supporting the show as well and it makes a massive difference to us so thank you very much guys thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.